over to Psalm 42. have a word of prayer Lord, we love you we thank you for your word Jesus we thank you for the word of God we thank you for the Holy Spirit who's the one that teaches us and instructs us Lord I'm asking right now you would release to us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you open the eyes of our understanding and flood us with light that we might know your nature we might know your character. We might know what you like. We might know the way you are. And that, Lord, that we wouldn't just simply uh, understand these things, but they would transform us. And I pray that even tonight, you would write upon the foundation of our soul your values. Write them upon the foundations of our soul that we might act the way you'd have us. We might live the way you'd have us to live. Lord, we love you. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. Okay, good. We're on part two uh, of a series. We're going to um, start from where we left off last week, talking about the soul, talking about uh, what, how you get satisfaction in your soul, and touching on the issues of, of mourning and what that looks like, uh, the, the biblical concept of mourning. And so uh, let's look at Psalm 42. Let's just read through this. It says, As the deer pants, verse 1, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me where is your God when I remember these things I pour out my soul within me for I used to go with the multitude I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast and David turns and he addresses himself he says soul why are you cast down speaking to his own emotions his own heart soul speaking to his mind he goes soul why do you feel this way why are you cast down why are you disquieted within me hope in God for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance and so we talked about last week uh, what it looks like the uh sort of the phases that your soul goes through. And just in briefly, we talked about how in this life, your soul longs for God. It's got a, there's, a, there's an inward um, testimony of your soul telling you that the only thing that will satisfy you is God. Your soul will continually proclaim to you, I need God. And what we, what we have is we have this, this uh, sense in our heart, this, this urging, this longing for satisfaction. And we, we call it happiness. Most people just live their life trying to be happy. 
and they'll do everything they can. They'll, they'll you know, get education. They'll uh, work jobs that they hate just so they can get a paycheck, so they can have money, so they can buy this thing called happiness. And it might look like, you know, uh, uh, a shiny car or a big house or uh, lots of vacations, uh, or it might look like, you know, um, you know, owning lots of things or having a, uh, a sense of pride about you where other people notice you. Um, it might look like pleasures and temporal ways and sinful ways. And there's this thing that your soul is testifying to you. It's saying you need something. And we interpret that many times, the longing of the soul, we interpret that as a desire for happiness. And most will live their entire life seeking happiness. Yet the entire time their soul has been testifying to their heart, you need God. We're looking for satisfaction in our soul. And Solomon tells us if a man lives his whole life and he lives his whole life just to feed his mouth, a stillborn baby is better than him. But a stillborn baby doesn't have the life. The man that lives his whole life to feed his mouth never is satisfied. Because everything you do to feed your, your, immediate, your desires for immediate gratification in this life and the quest for happiness is really this. You're really looking for rest for your soul. That's the way Jesus... Uh, described it. It's rest for your soul that you're desiring. And David, he is explaining the feeling of the soul when it hasn't touched satisfaction. He goes, soul, why are you so messed up inside of me? How come I'm not at rest? Disquieted means loud, restless. The the restless soul I remember uh, just being young and being unsaved and being sitting there watching TV and I had the remote control and being like nothing's on TV turn it off go to the refrigerator 17th time today nothing's in that refrigerator I want something but I don't know what it is go to the phone call somebody hey what are you doing nothing okay okay bye bam I need something but I don't know what it is my soul is testifying to me. It's got a desire for God. My whole life, I grew up going, there's something more. There's got to be something more. What is it? My soul passed for God. Anybody in touch with the sense of your soul desiring God? I mean, you can only watch so many movies. You can go only get entertained by the world so much. You can only eat food. I mean, really, really. I mean, does the long French food with the long French name that costs $100 a plate, does it really taste better than Kentucky Fried Chicken? Probably not. Not so much. It's like a little bit better, maybe. I mean, some good French fries from McDonald's. I mean... There's, not, there's just not satisfaction in this life that you can get without God. Our flesh is longing and our souls are thirsting. And so we talked about how, last week we talked about the fact that your soul is disquieted doesn't mean you're in sin. It probably means you're, you're okay. It probably means you're pursuing it probably means you're after God. And the fact that your soul is restless, it's okay. Because the longing, thirsting soul 
will end up being poured out before God. That one that's longing and thirsting for God, that one will pour himself out before God until he's a mess. He might not even look good to people. He will be disquieted and at times even cast down. The one that's on a quest, the one we, we sang it tonight, that has set their heart on a pilgrimage, on a journey to God, that one will find no rest in anything that this life can offer it. That soul will wrestle. And it might even feel downcast at times. And it's okay. And what's the answer? The answer is to anchor your soul to hope. You anchor it to hope. Why are you downcast, soul? Hope in God. He shall be the help of your countenance. What's that mean? He's going to make your face happy. God's going to look upon you. He's going to, he's going to let his, his glory shine upon you. His countenance to your countenance. He's going to satisfy you. We started talking about these things last week, and I mean, we, we, touched, uh, we touched a nerve. And all week this week in the prayer room, I mean, it was just like every other prayer. Somebody's like, oh God, my soul's disquieted. Help! Give us this gift, God. Of satisfaction for the mournful. All week. I mean, it was just, it was just like a, a recording. It's like we touched a nerve. We hit something. And I'm, I'm aware that, you know, at times uh, when we'll, we'll say a thing, it will be the word that the Lord is trying to get to us. Everybody has it on their heart. You get a little language for it, and it makes sense to everybody. Everybody goes, man, that's, that's real. And it just sort of takes off. And I'm, I'm aware that this is one of those. And I just want to, let's just listen to David for a moment. Psalm 63. I like him in Psalm 63. Psalm 63 and Psalm 42 are like sister chapters. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips, they shall praise you. I will bless you while I live. I'll lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied. As with marrow and fatness. The richest of foods is the idea. Marrow and fatness. The richest of foods. He goes, my soul shall be satisfied like when my stomach is satisfied when I eat the richest of foods. He goes, oh, when I get you, my soul will be dealt with bountifully. My soul will be alive. My soul will prosper. My soul will be buoyant. I will have life in me. He goes, I am thirsting and longing for you. And when I get you... Satisfied. I'll be satisfied. He goes, Oh, and then I'll praise you with joyful lips. I'll just read this to you. In Psalm 17, David explains. He explains the difference between the man whose portion in life is his flesh. His portion in life is to get things from this life and how David feels about the Lord. And And in verse 15, he says this, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. 
I will be satisfied with your likeness. I like how he says it, when I awake. What's he talking about? He's talking about when he dies. But he calls it being awake. Why? Because he's going to put off this shadow. He's going to put off this life. He's going to put off this veil. And he's really going to come into life. He's saying this life compared to the next age is like being asleep to being awake. He goes, and I'll tell you when I really will be satisfied. I'll be satisfied. He goes, that one, he might be satisfied in this, getting his portion in this life. That one, he might be satisfied in getting all the money he can and and, and trying to get satisfaction out of this life. He goes, not me. He goes, as for me, I'll be satisfied when? When I see you. When I see you. Now that's awesome. Because there's full-blown, ridiculous, off-the-chart satisfaction for your soul. Can you imagine the day when you actually peer into the face of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, His, His face shines brighter than the sun in its strength. When John sees him in Revelation 1, he says, his face is shining like the sun in his strength, but his eyes are burning like fire. How do you see eyes of fire with a face like a sun? Because the eyes are brighter than the face. His eyes are burning with fire, desiring you. His hair is white as wool. His feet glowing like brass, burning in a fire. Can you imagine the day you're going to look into the face of Jesus and in that instant you'll, you'll know Him as you've been fully known. There's nothing about you God doesn't know and, that, and God doesn't know. In that day you'll know Him as you are known. You'll, you'll, your eyes will gaze on the one who is eternity. Eternity doesn't hold Him. He holds eternity. Beauty doesn't describe Him. He is beauty. You'll look into his eyes. And that day your soul will say, take rest. Take rest. But I'm becoming more and more convinced of this. I don't want to discourage you. But I'm becoming more and more convinced of this. The pathway of this life is a wrestling, disquieted soul until that day we get to gaze upon him. The pathway of this life We get momentary zephyrs of the Spirit of the Lord that lift and encourage and they're like drops of water on a parched ground. Yet, I'm telling you, the ache doesn't go away till you see Him. I'm convinced of it. And here's where it goes, beloved. I would say this. Last week we were talking about it's okay that you're disquieted. And I think that's right. You, you have to come to grips with the fact that it's okay if your soul is wrestling. Your soul won't shut up. If your soul continues to testify, you need more. You need God. There's more for you. Don't stop. Don't, don't you know, settle. Don't, don't stop at a false finish line. Press in. There's more of God for you. When your soul testifies that to you, it creates a, a restlessness within you. You say, how do I get it? I've got to have God. 
It's grace working in you that's, that's allowing that wrestling to happen. That's grace. It's only by, listen, it's only by an operation of grace that a man would really want God. For there's none that seeks God. Only by an operation of grace working upon your soul, causing you to desire Him. That's the only way that you're longing that way. And I tell you, it's okay if you're that way. Yet I want to say this in another step. It's okay that you're disquieted, but I guarantee you, disquieted will take you to downcast. I hope you can hear me. But downcast is a synonym for mournful. And mournful and downcast, I'm not talking about depressed. I'm talking about longing till it hurts. Aching like, the, like you have a sense of loss. That is reality in this age. So he says, now, you want me to mourn my whole life. No, I don't want you to mourn your whole life. Jesus wants you to mourn your whole life. He set up this thing called the Sermon on the Mount and he gave us these core values. And point two is blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who live mourning in this life. There's a blessedness in mourning. That's what I want to talk about. The blessedness of mourning. And we have almost no grid for this. We've almost no palate to hear that it's okay to be sorrowful in heart because you're longing and aching for God and that this really might be the course you live this entire life. But that's reality. And the truth is there's comfort coming, but I say with David, I won't be comforted until I see you. Sometimes in my prayer times with the Lord I'll just go so when 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 do I when do I get to see you when 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 I don't I don't want to just I'm just you're you're what um, you're what I want I when do I get to see you God I am I remember having this fear when I was in Kansas City and I was in Kansas City and I was thinking, okay, we're going to go back to Atlanta. We're going to build a house of prayer. And, and it'll be really, really hard. And who knows? And maybe it will work. Maybe it won't work. But I remember having this fear in the back of my mind thinking, what if I'm not in this for God? What if I'm in this for me? And here was, here was the fear. The fear wasn't failure. The fear was, and what if we actually get to 24-7 and I get bored? because I'm in this to do another ministry thing rather than get God. And here we are. This is actually our one-year anniversary of 24-7 today. And I'll tell you, I am, I am a wreck. And what I mean is this. I'm not looking for another ministry conquest. In fact, a ministry conquest is the last thing on my agenda right now. I want God. I'm living in a state of disquietedness in my soul that's turned into mourning because I'm longing for this man, Jesus. It's called being lovesick. You heard Danielle use that term, lovesick? 
longing and mourning and aching in heart for God. We touch this thing, and it's just such a, it's just such a paradox because we touch Him, but we've never touched Him. We hear Him, but we've never heard what His voice sounds like. We see Him, but I've never seen Him. We feel Him, but I've never felt Him. You move back and forth between the moments of bliss and your soul's alive, and you go, oh, God, oh, God, I want to be with you. I want you more than anything. And it's like as soon as you're up, whoosh, don't leave me like this. You know what I found out? When you're in love like that, when, you're, when you are captured like that, they'll just do anything for God. See, he's got to get us to a place of poor in spirit and mournful in soul so we'll be radically abandoned, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. There, there, there's no reality in Christianity without these things, beloved. Listen to me. There is no reality in Christianity without the core value system of the kingdom of God real in your life, being worked out in your life. We can say we have Christianity, but if it doesn't look like the core values from Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, I guarantee you it's not the value system of Christ. And if mourning, and I'm not saying you've got to walk around depressed or sad, I, there's real joy and blessedness in mourning. But I'm, I'm saying if real mourning of heart is not yours in this age, you've missed point two of the value system. It's not a list of things we've got to go, okay, got that one, got that one. But I'm telling you, you've missed a massive chunk of what's going on in the values of this, of this kingdom. And what it is is this, that God would have a people so abandoned in love, they're longing and aching and mourning for his son. See, God made a promise to his son the nations is his inheritance. God is going to see to it that that promise is fulfilled. And it's not just the nations that Jesus rules and they all become slaves and he comes down with a hard hammer on all of them. No, it's the nations that give themselves willingly, obediently, in abandonment, in love sickness to this man Christ Jesus. Why? Because they know that he is the only thing that satisfies. It's the only thing that satisfies. start aching you get under that thing a little bit and you start aching and you go man give me something give me a break give me some food give me some entertainment give me some recreation give me something and he goes I'm telling you it's the whole of this age for you it's 70 years and I'll tell you this there is a rarity there is a rarity of comfort available only to those who will engage in spiritual mourning. There's a rare comfort. Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. The comfort that the mournful are comforted with is rare, beloved. It's a unique comfort of riches in God. If you never touch mourning, you never touch the comfort. I want my soul comforted. I want it satisfied and alive. I want the whole path. I want the whole value system. I want everything that he'll give us. 
I don't want to skip. I don't want to skip. You know, I don't want to skip over. Well, that one's not real palatable. But I, I, I say this. We have got to get to the place uh, as believers where we just, we just believe this. Mourning is right in this age. Blessed are those who mourn. It's right in this age to weep and mourn and long for the man Christ Jesus. It's right in this age to mourn because our cities are targeted for destruction. The sin of the earth has come up before our great God who is righteousness itself. And the Bible tells us, we've got to hear this, there are 21 judgment events. The book of Revelation lays them out. 21 unique judgment events that will come upon the earth. And up until that time, prior to that, there are seven global trends from the Ma- Matthew 24. They're called the beginning of birth pangs. And they will leave the earth in such disarray that the peoples of the earth will clamor. They will cry out for a global leader to unite them and help them. And in God's sovereignty, he will allow men to choose a man who will call himself God. Antichrist. Beloved, this is a day right in front of us. We have got a real uh, vision for the feast, for the wedding supper, for the revival to come. We've got a real vision and a real palette to hear about global revival and Jesus is coming and it's going to be grand. What about this? He's the God with a sacrifice that he's ordered on the earth. Isaiah 63 says he is a sacrifice the day of the Lord and I tell you there is a mourning beloved that we've got to come into we understand that the activity of God in the earth is this judgment is coming we long for him to come and all the while we're longing to be satisfied in soul by this man Christ Jesus we are longing for the day of the Lord when he slays everyone who is against his righteous causes have you considered your cry for revival only hastens the day when he comes to slay all the enemies. Oh yeah. We cry out for the arm of the Lord to be, to, to be uh, made real in our city and we're thinking signs, wonders, healings, miracles, revival, good meetings, a little more anointing on the uh, praise and worship maybe. And God says, yes, it's all that and this. The day of vengeance is in my heart. Thinking about this. You know, Jesus, he looks over Jerusalem weeping. And he says, how I desired to gather you, Jerusalem, like a mother hen gathers her chicks. Matthew 23, they're right at the end. He goes, how I desired to gather you. He goes, but you didn't understand the time. You didn't understand the day of your visitation. What if this, what if every Jew in Jerusalem, when Jesus was giving that prophetic word, what if every Jew in Jerusalem understood that within 40 years, Jerusalem would not be there anymore and Israel would not be a nation? What if they really got it? What if they understood that the Roman armies were going to march on Jerusalem in 67, just, you know, 35 years later? And it was going to totally destroy all of Jerusalem and leave Israel without a nation. 
What if they knew a million Jews would be destroyed? How would they have changed their daily lives? How would they have changed what they did every day? They would have thought differently about the way they they lived Monday through Friday. Because they would have understood that judgment was coming. I tell you, there there is a duality to living mournful in this age. And he's called the people of God to live mournfulness in this age. And here it is. We mourn because we long to know him. We mourn because our souls are aching and disquieted and they won't be comforted without the man Christ Jesus. We mourn because we want satisfaction. We will awake when we see him. And we mourn for this. Beloved, destruction is coming to this planet. The day of the Lord is coming. The cities will be laid waste. There are so many apocalyptic scriptures that identify how extensive the, uh, the, the, the slaughter of the day of the Lord will be. Isaiah 13 says, a mortal will be more rare than fine gold at the end of the age. We've got almost no grid for it and almost no palette for it. But we need to mourn because we long for Christ. We need to mourn because there is a day of reckoning before us that's real and what happens is this because it's not popular to hear this kind of a word we just go ahead and give ourselves to a celebrative message that's full of worldly mirth you know brother that's you know if you preach that kind of a hard word dude people aren't going to come hear that you need to you know tell them who they are and build them up make them feel a little bit better And I tell you, because we've got no palate for the truth of the scripture. We don't love the truth so much. We love to feel good. And we love to be right. There's a far cry difference between loving being right and loving the truth. If I love being right, I will get my vantage point and hold on to my vantage point till the end, regardless of how much truth is pounding me. But if I love truth, when I am obvious that I'm wrong, if I love truth, I will vacillate from my opinion and hold on to truth every single time. So many love being right, but they have no palate for the truth because the truth many times is very difficult and runs cross-grain to what our opinions are and what we believe. Oh, that we'd have a love for truth. You know, part of the reason why our souls wrestle and are disquieted with longing and aching and mourning. Part, part of the reason why it just, there's just tension within us is because we are so, uh, we so crave normalcy. Just want to be normal. Just want to be normal. I don't want anybody to think I'm weird. You know, I, you know, I just... I want to get along with my relatives at the holidays. I just, I don't want to stick out in a crowd. If I could just be normal. And you know, half of our concern with being disquieted and mournful in this life is we're just worried about being abnormal. Just don't want to look weird. And it's not that we need to get on a quest to be weird. That's not the point. The point is that we would love God so much we'd be abandoned. We'd love truth 
so much we would cling to it. And when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, we would get off of trying to be normal and find out what does this mean to live mournful in this age? What does this mean to be poor in spirit? What does meekness really mean? And I'm so touched with this because we have values we, many of us, we have personal values. We have, uh, maybe the business we're part of has a value system. Maybe the local church we go to has got a, a, a core values. But we, we've got so many values that we put up on the wall or put in the document. But, but what's, the, what's the actuality? Do we walk out the values? Do we live them out? Values that are not lived out, they're simply theories. With no actuality. Oh, what if a people really lived out the value system of the kingdom? What if a people really grabbed hold of what it means to live mournful and longing for the man Christ and mournful, uh, crying out for mercy when they know judgment is coming? What if a people really gave themselves to blessed are those who mourn? What would they be like? They would be authentic. They'd be biblical. Look at Joel 2. I'm touched with my own desire to look good, my own propensity to be normal. I, I wonder, well, I don't have to wonder because David describes it in Psalm 69, but. You know, what does it look like for a man who actually feeds on his tears night and day? David says this, he goes, I've become a byword to those that are of importance, the ones that stand in the gates. He's talking about the, the authorities of the land. He goes, I've become a byword to the, to the high up government, governmental guys. And he goes, I've become the mockery and the song of drunkards. He goes, my family doesn't even understand me anymore. He goes, because I wept in my soul with fasting. He goes, it's become my reproach. We need the Lord to help us to not be freaked when a prayerful people, A, to not be freaked when people give themselves to prayer. That's weird enough. Well, that's one of those like commune things. They're like praying all the time. But then we need to ask the Lord to help us to not be freaked when we live longing for the man Christ. Longing for Jesus. And all of a sudden it starts affecting our emotions. And it starts affecting our heart. And all of a sudden you, you really do lose a taste for everything that the world's trying to give you. Like you really do lose the taste for being cool in this age or getting what the, the, you know, the, the hottest, latest, greatest thing is. You start losing a taste for looking good in front of people. You just want God. Well, that we'd be okay with that. Joel 2, let's look at this. Verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. 
a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Skip down to verse 12. Now therefore, says the Lord, in light of the day of the Lord, he gives us 11 very vivid verses that give us a description of the destruction of the day of the Lord. Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. He relents from doing harm. Who knows if He will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind Him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. These verses give us the house of prayer they give us a grounding they they are they are should be written upon our foundation of how it is we're to live in this age here's what we are we are a people called to fast and pray as the core first thing that we do in this life our first identity is lovers of God and the very first thing we do in life and the greatest thing we do, the, the most important thing we do is fasting and prayer. So we come into this and it's a Joel 2 reality that we live in. We live with the mentality that we are in a, a continual solemn assembly because we believe the day of the Lord is coming. This sanctuary that the Lord's given is a sanctuary that should be given to fasting, weeping, and mourning. That's what it should be. It's got to be, beloved, and, and specifically for our staff and family, it's got to be written upon the foundation of who we are that it's okay to live in this life giving ourselves to fasting and prayer, weeping of the abominations and the sins of, of, of the, the, the people on the earth, and mourning and longing for the return of the man Christ Jesus. That's got to be okay or we've missed the point. That's got to be okay or we've missed the point. You know what that means? You might be a wreck uh, from time to time. You better get waterproof mascara. For real. Because you might be a wreck from time to time. Why? This is who we are called to be. This is where we're called to live. The idea that we would think about somebody that's living with a mournful heart, longing for the man Christ Jesus, and weeping over the sins and abominations of the land, the idea that we would think that person is weird is so crazy. That's got to get out of our minds. We've got to get delivered of that and understand that a disquieted soul that moves into mourning is God's plan for us in this age. That's who we are. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are you. You give yourself to that. Blessed are you. Good for you. I promise you, comfort is coming. I promise you. But it's not going to be mostly in this age. going to be when you see him it's going to be when you see his face if you anchor your desire for comfort to something temporal I tell you not only will you live bankrupt you will be so uh, you know frustrated with God over your mourning heart 
See, here's what happens. We begin to mourn. We begin to long for God. And we get sort of frustrated with God. Why won't you satisfy? He goes, oh, I will satisfy. Oh, how I love to hear your voice. Longing for me like that. And what happens is we turn from desiring God to being angry with God because our hearts are aching. But we're anchored to a temporal comfort that is not the point at all, beloved. The point is this. He wants you longing for one thing. His son. He's taking you to the end. He's crushing you. He's crushing you. He's taking you to the end of desire for that which is temporal. So you can sing, I set my heart on a pilgrimage. I'm homesick for heaven, lovesick for God, and you can mean it. This Joel 2 description is the call to a people who are living in light of the imminent judgments of God coming to the earth. And what we will do is, if we focus solely on revival and the wedding feast, we will miss the point a massive part of the point of what Jesus is going to be doing at the end of the age in initiating temporal judgments and preparing the earth for his kingdom. And that is something we have to partner with him in as well as the revival and the wedding feast. And I'm becoming more and more convinced of this. See, we kind of think this way. We kind of think that God has this plan A and plan A is revival. And when people don't all get saved in revival, then God's got to do plan B, which is wrath. You know, when it sort of plan A doesn't go as well as we wanted, we've got to do plan B. I tell you, in God, revival is plan A and wrath is plan A. He is a God without any contradiction. He's a God of mercy and a God of wrath all at once, all on ten, all together. The day of vengeance is in his heart just as much as mercy surrounds his throne. How does he pull it off? I don't know, but he's God. And both those realities are who he, who he is. And when you're praying for revival, break in with fire. You're asking for God to bring a Gentile harvest. God goes, yes, I'm going to bring a Gentile harvest. Yes, I'm going to bring a Jewish harvest after that. And yes, in the midst of all that, I'm going to bring radical judgment and vindicate my bride and my son. 2 Thessalonians 1, it says he's coming in fire. Hebrews 10 says it's a fury of a fire which will devour the adversaries. That is a real reality before us, beloved. It's in front of us. We've got to get a grid for both. If we don't, we will not live our mandate. And a Joel 2 lifestyle is our mandate. It is who we are called to be. Ones who are turned to God. He goes, turn to me with your heart. Turn to me with all that you are. He goes, let it be authentic through and through. Let it sweep your entire being. Turn to me with your heart. He goes, rend your heart. He goes, let your heart be torn to pieces and not simply something external. Like your garments. He goes, oh, don't let it just be a little tweak on something on the outside. He goes, let it be something real within you to where your whole lifestyle changes. Turn to me with all your heart with fasting, weeping, and mourning. I promise you, if your whole heart isn't turned, you won't do the fasting, weeping, and mourning. 
confessing even in the morning, I'm telling you, it will bring you to the end. The end of your, all your stuff. You know, Danielle, she told that testimony so good. She came to the end of herself. God invited her to the wilderness so she could come sit in a room where she found out she was coming to the end of herself. Oh, that's our life in this age, beloved. I am totally off my, where my notes are. Turn over to Matthew 11. Just, if you're taking notes, jot down Matthew 9.15. Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn while the bridegroom is with them? Because I tell you, the days are coming when the bridegroom will be taken away. Then they will fast. Beloved, we are living in the days when the bridegroom has been taken away. Jesus the bridegroom has been taken away. We are longing and mourning with fasting and prayer, waiting for his return. And he's giving us this terminology, friend of the bridegroom. And Jesus is actually quoting John the Baptist. The one who prepared the way for the Lord to come the first time. So he's using this terminology, friend of the bridegroom, the friends of the bridegroom, and he's talking about a people who will live a certain style lifestyle in this age unto the Lord's coming. He goes, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn while the bridegroom is with them? He goes, no, but I tell you the day is coming when the bridegroom will be taken, then they will mourn and fast. In the day when he's been taken, a whole company of people with a, with a desire to know him intimately will long and mourn for him as his friends preparing the way. So then we get a little more commentary from Jesus in Matthew 11. In verse 10, talking about John the Baptist. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Verse 11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. That verse, I was just thinking about how often I've heard that take it by force, take it by force verse. And it's so often way, just so, like, it's abused. That verse is so out of context. It's, you know, you get this... You know, you get this idea that take it by force means we just got to get strong, beloved. We just got to, you know, just get mighty and just do some bold stuff for God. We're going to take it by force. But he gives us what taking it by force is at the end of the chapter. It's the meek yoke. Spiritual violence is meekness and mourning. Spiritual violence the take-it-by-force crowd is meekness and mourning. It's not the, oh, we're going to do something for God, man. We're going to get fired up. We're going to take it to the streets. We're going to take over. It's meekness and mourning. That's how Jesus described it. Because it's violent against the sway of this world system. to be meek 
the God of this world, Satan, is pride embodied. So the antithesis of that would be the kingdom of heaven. Meekness. And you've got to be violent to resist the sway of the spirit of the age and to embrace the opposite in the kingdom of God. The sway of the spirit of the age is pride. Do something great. Be something great. You know, get a, get a platform. Get a title. Proclaim your own greatness. The kingdom of God is, let him who is going to be the greatest among you, let him be like your little brother. Luke 22, he goes, let him be like your, the younger. I have three boys. I was thinking about my youngest little boy. He goes, you want to be great? Be like the three-year-old. He doesn't have to try to be humble. He is humble. Everybody looks at him like, you're just a little guy. He knows it. That's spiritual violence, giving yourself to meekness and giving yourself to mourning. But look at verse 16. I'm going to land it. And Jesus says, but what, to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces. They call out to other children and they say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Jesus is giving us a description of the, a, uh, the duality of walking with him. He's, he's giving a judgment against the generation in which he lived. He's saying, you all are like a group. He goes, we played the happy song for you and you wouldn't dance to it. He goes, and we played the sad song and you wouldn't mourn. You didn't do anything. You didn't prepare you didn't think anything was special amongst you, even though the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And in the generation before the Lord returns, it's the same dual reality that God's calling his people to. Those who will prepare the way of the Lord, he's calling his people to the same dual reality. Those who will dance with him and those who will mourn with him. Those who will hear the flute and understand there is a wedding to come and they will dance. See, the dance with the Lord in this life is all the ups and downs, all the unique ways the Lord leads. You will move with Him in abandonment. You will dance to the sound of the flute. But it's also this, hearing the funeral dirge and mourning. Beloved, I want to say this to you strongly. The funeral dirge of human history is being played now. It's being played now. Look, it might be 50 years out. If you knew for sure the date, and you knew the destruction that was coming, I guarantee you would give yourself to mourning right now, praying that your tears would rescue souls. The funeral dirge is being played today, beloved. Oh, that we wouldn't be a people that would not mourn to the dirge. We would recognize the dirge. We would recognize the flute. We would dance with the man Christ Jesus in all the unique ways in which he leads. Our hearts would leap and rejoice because we know in one day we're going to be married and we're going to see him. Though our souls are longing, we know we're going to be comforted. We would dance with this man in this life. Oh, but this, we would understand 
the time of our visitation. We would understand the day in which we live and we would understand this, that the dirge is being played, beloved. It's being played. There are cities targeted for destruction. There's a day of vengeance in the heart of the Lord. It's real. Oh, that we would be ones that partner with his heart and mourning and weep. We cry for mercy. For real. Not be inebriated on the desire for, for being happy. I tell you, joy will be ours. Joy will be ours. But let's not sell out for some temporal, you know, real thin, you know, false happiness and we're inebriated and we can't tune in to what he's doing in this hour. Oh, that we tune into the heart of God. Radical obedience, that's the dance. Radical obedience, it's a Sermon on the Mount lifestyle, that's the dance. Mourning is the spiritual violence that he talks about. Thinking about how much I love mirth. Mirth, it's just shallow happiness. That which amuses that which causes my mind to not think about the current reality. I love mirth. I love to be amused. I love to, to be giddy and giggle. I have a propensity toward mirth. I was thinking about how mirth, it's like champagne. It kind of tickles your nose and it kind of goes down and tickles your throat. It's fun. It's celebrative. You know, you, you do champagne at the, at the regal kind of a gathering, you know. At the wedding or at the, you know, whatever the, the real nice party is, you do champagne. And if you drink a little too much, you get a little tipsy. And after a little while, you get tired. It's like a sedative. It puts you to sleep. I was just thinking about my propensity to, to be funny, goofy. There's nothing wrong with being joyful in God and even being polite and smiling. I'm not trying to talk people into being depressed. I mean, I'm talking about having, I, I believe we can have a glad countenance and have a mourning heart. But there's something so different when we give ourselves into worldly things, entertainments and recreation and just stuff to take our heart off of the point so we don't have to live up under the pain of mourning we don't have to bear up under the truth of the current reality of the day in which we live we don't have to look at the fact that babies are being slaughtered in our city we don't have to look at the fact that we're one of the number one sex slave cities in the nation we don't have to look at the fact that the gay and lesbian community has given themselves Atlanta as a new hub or the new San Francisco we don't have to deal with that let's just do a little mirth beloved we're the mega church capital of the nation Yet our city's untransformed and is running headlong into sin. Oh, but I just, you know, it's just a little heavy, brother. Why, you know, why are you trying to, let's just have fun. I think we're drunk. I think we're drunk. We're just sipping on the champagne a little bit too much. Got a little giddy. You know what? Four or five glasses, you get a little, you just get a little buzz, just a little tipsy. After a little while, you just get a little sleepy. You just fall asleep. 
I don't want to be inebriated. I want to be sober. I want to watch and pray. I want to be awake. I want the ache in my heart for Jesus to absolutely get volcanic until I can't stand it anymore. I don't care if I don't look normal. I want to live my life in a way that moves history. I don't want to be normal. I want to be drunk on the spirit of the age, blending into the crowd, worried about what the person next door thinks. The bubbles tickling my nose. heart alive in God. I want to pursue him with all that I've got. I want to cry out with a heart of fasting, weeping, and mourning that says bridegroom, come. I don't care how you come. Come in every way you want to come because I will never be satisfied until I see your face and my portion in this life. It's nothing this earth can give me. My portion in this life is you. It's you. Oh, that God would reset our priorities in a certain way. Real. He would that he would grip our hearts for real. Let's just stand. You know, last week something strange happened. Uh, it happens often, but this was a little different for me. I was standing there during the worship and they began to isolate a, a scripture phrase. They began to sing out of a, a passage. And when they did, they sang out of Psalm 42. Well, ordinarily I would think, oh, how cool is that? Psalm 42, I'm gonna preach out of Psalm 42 in just a minute. That was so cool. But when they did that last week, I'm telling you, I got, I got butterflies in my stomach and the fear of the Lord came on me. I thought, this is very strange. I'm, I'm afraid. Th- there's fear on me about that. I was trembling. I, said, this, I was thinking to myself, this is very strange. And I got up last week and talked about the disquieted soul. And it, I think it connected. And, and this week we prayed a lot. And people over and over and over were praying about mourning and the gift of mourning and what that looks like. And I realized this, that I needed to get okay with being disquieted so I could get okay with mourning. And I needed to get okay with mourning so I wouldn't think of mourning as something you do for a season, but I would think of mourning as something you live in in this age. Blessed are those who mourn. And I needed to have the fear of the Lord on me, and here's why. Because, beloved, the funeral dirge is being played. The funeral dirge is being played. And I can't tell you the number of times I've had a thought in mind or got up and prayed, uh, prepared a message and preached a message, and the Lord did something on the other side of the message that totally changed in my mind even what I was saying. I was prophesying without even knowing what I was preaching about. And he's done that to me several, several times. He did that big time to me on the Sermon on the Mount, on the, on the series we did last year on the Sermon on the Mount. Just over and over and over, kept turning it on me. And I'm, I'm saying this. You can start playing. I'm saying this. I, uh, mourning isn't an optional thing for us. Mourning is a normal piece of our life. In Christianity. It's not even a season. You might have seasons where it, it ebbs and flows. You might have times when it, it crescendos and times when it settles a little bit. But the heart that's longing and aching and mourning for the man Christ Jesus, that's yours. That's a gift from God for you. 
and the heart that would mourn and weep over the sin and the abomination of the land, that's a gift from heaven to you that you can live in in this age. Oh God, that you would take it from our minds that it's so abnormal to live with wet eyes. God, you would break our hearts. You would impress our calloused hearts. That we would live alive, longing for the bridegroom, Jesus. Longing for Jesus. Mourning because he's been taken away. Aware of the hour in which we live. God, even release the fear of the Lord. Even release it upon us, God. We wouldn't give ourselves to to mirth. We wouldn't be inebriated, drunken, and asleep, God. For real, God. Write it on the foundations of this community. Fasting, weeping, and mourning. There's joy in the journey, but oh, the comfort we will experience when we see your face. God, make it real to us. Make it real to us.